Tyson on January 26th and 27th. Bob Marley's birthday bash on February 3rd. And Quiet Storm Valentine celebration on February 10th. More info and tickets at BethesdaTheater.com. WPFW is a proud media partner with Bethesda Theater. I'm Kamaya. I'm Amira. I'm Kaya. I'm Kamaya. And you're listening to WPFW Washington. Another man done gone. Another man done gone. From the county farm. Another man done gone. Jury of your peers having found you guilty. Ten years. What? Come on, come on. Get that I was in jail too, man. It's cold blooded in the jail. You go down there looking for justice. That's what you find. Just us. Welcome to another edition of Crossroads Today. Now here's your host, Roach Brown. Good morning and good morning, and welcome to Crossroads. We come to you every Tuesday at the exact same time. WPFW is heard around the world, and, and Crossroads is your station for information regarding the criminal justice system and returnees and any aspect of the criminal justice system that we can uh, uh, address. So thank you for tuning in, and for our people and friends who's calling in from all around the world. We get calls from around the world now. Ron, is unbelievable. The cell phone technology and what's happening now, it's hard to track how many millions of people are listening to the show, but we get calls from Germany, South America, Asia, all over. Man, it's unbelievable. But thank you for listening and tuning in and sending us your uh, questions, comments, and emails. We appreciate you. And at the beginning of the show, you heard the opening when it says Richard Pryor was talking about uh, he, uh, he went down to prison and they saw just us. For our listeners, we met Richard Pryor back in the 70s. He came down to Lawton when I was incarcerated in Lawton. And he came down to the prison and performed. And uh, when he walked in and he saw all, oh, it was like 1,100 guys and there's two white inmates in out of 1,100. And Richard had tears in his eyes and he started crying. And one of the guys asked Richard Pryor for his shirt. Richard took off his shirt and gave it to the guy. And after my group, the inner voices performed, Richard asked the warden, can he take us to the Apollo Theater? And would you believe, Ron, in the next two weeks, Richard Pryor took 15 of us from Lawton serving life, 40, 50, 60 years, to the Apollo Theater. And we returned from the Apollo Theater. Nobody escaped. So Richard took us on a couple more trips to Boston, Massachusetts, to Chicago. So we got a close affinity to Richard Pryor. That's why we play him at the beginning of the show, out of respect. Uh, for what this guy did for us back in the, in the day. So well, that's a little yeah. old history that I want to share. Yeah. Now we start off with what we call the grapevine. Information okay. that you can use, the grapevine. Hey, hey, hey. <clears throat> Texans rookie C.J. Stroud's cleats advocate for prison reform as father serves lengthy sentence. Houston, Texas rookie quarterback C.J. Stroud's cleats carried a message that hits close to home as he took on the Denver Broncos Sunday afternoon at home. Though through the NFL's My Cause, My Cleats initiative, 
which allows players to break the usual team uniform code to wear cleats showing causes they wish to advocate for. Stroud, Stroud had two pairs of cleats that pointed to prison reform as he took the field at the stadium in Houston for his pre-game pre warm-ups. He wore black and gold cleats that had a large hashtag reading, prison reform on it, and called for prison reform. His daddy, uh, well, his daddy did, uh, is going 38 years in prison, and that's why he's advocating for getting his father out of prison. And I'm glad the NFL allowed to change the policy to allow, and allow uh, players to put a cause on their cleats. Uh, our criminal justice system isn't working right, and it's something that need that need to probably be a little more vocal about, says Stroud, because what his dad is going through is not right. right. And I want to thank him for speaking up for his father, whose name is Coolidge Stroud, has been in prison since he, his son was in middle school, as he's serving a 38-to-life sentence after pleading guilty in 2016 to carjacking, kidnapping, and robbery. He is currently serving his sentence at Folsom State Prison. And I would think that a lot of other players, like Colin Kaepernick, taking stands. So now they're allowing you to do it, but you don't you have to do it on your cleats. So the CJ style, we take our hats off to him and thank you. Also, investigation reveals U.S. police keep majority of body cameras footage from the public. Despite taxpayers spending millions of dollars to outfit police officers across the country with body-worn cameras, an effort sold as the key to transparency and accountability in policing. A recent survey shows that when civilians die at the hands of police, the public usually never sees the footage. Of the 101 deaths by police that occurred in, in 131 law enforcement agencies in 34 states in 2022, a time frame chosen because enough time had elapsed that investigations could reasonably be expected to have concluded. Authorities or victims' family had released the body cam, body cam footage of only 33 incidents. Withholding body-worn camera footage from the public has become so entrenched in some cities that even pleas from victims' families don't serve to shake the video loose. Police departments involved in 14 of the, of the footage because of a department policy or, or whatever. Many other departments cannot disclose body camera footage. That need to stop. We need to have access to it because they go back to the 14th Amendment. Equal justice under the law. If the police have access to something, we have the same right to the same access that they're going. And here's some jiggy boogie that really will get your shoes. Felons, felons must get guns. <clears throat> excuse me. Felons must get gun rights back if they want voting rights restored. Tennessee officials say Nashville, Tennessee. The state's toughest voting rights restoration policy requires people convicted of a felony to get their gun rights restored before they be, before they can become eligible to cast a vote or ballot again. Tennessee's election office said Tuesday, confirming a mandate officials have been debating internally. Last summer, election officials interpreted a state Supreme Court ruling as requiring that all convicted felons applying for reinstated voting rights first get their full citizen rights to be stored by a judge or show they were pardoned. Voting right advocates have argued the legal interpretation was a way, this is Jill Gay Boogie, 
The change instituted by election officials in July has since halted almost all voting rights restorations in Tennessee. More than 60 people were denied and just one person approved. In the nearly seven months before it was implemented, about 200 people were approved and 120 denied. State Elections Commissioner pointed to the court's ruling. He reiterated that someone's full citizen rights, full citizenship rights, must be restored before they can regain the right to vote and edit. Under the Tennessee Constitution, the right to bear arms is a right of citizenship. This is some more juggy boogie where they're playing with the voting rights that in order to vote in Tennessee, you got to get the right restored to have a gun. And the law states you cannot have a gun if you've been convicted of a felony. So if this ain't some juggy boogie that's going on all across the country. Man, I, Ron, I'm just tired of this juggy boogie, man. That's been what we call the grapevine, information that you can use. And I hope you can use this one. And now we get to our guest. Our co-host will not join us this morning, Nikichi Taifa is leaving for Brazil this morning. Man, she, Ron, she is all over the world, not the country. That Nikichi is something else. Enjoy yourself, lady. We will miss you, and we can't wait to have you back because we need your input, Nikichi Taifa. Now, I guess for this morning, we'll be talking about the new D.C. Omnibus Crime Bill, and our first guest is Melissa Wassler, ACLU Policy Council. Proud to join in the ACLU, Melissa worked as a policy counsel for the project on government oversight and as a policy analyst for the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press. Melissa has testified before Congress on whistleblower reform and court access issues, and she has been cited in various news outlets, including the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Los Angeles Times, Politico, Bloomberg. Lady, you've been all everywhere, ain't you, Melissa? You're quite a star, Melissa Wasser. I didn't know that about you. I appreciate that, Roach. (laughs) (laughs) You're too kind. (laughs) And our other guest is a good friend of mine, Ron E. Hampton, is a 23-year retired veteran of the D.C. Metropolitan Police Department and served as executive director of the National Black Police Association for over 20 years. Currently, he is serving as a convener and chair of the Institute of the Black World 21st Central Police Reform and Accountability. That's a mouthful, Ron. Uh, but I want to say, I've been knowing Ron over 50 years. He's a good friend, and I met him when we were doing a, a, a show back in the 70s. I was producing Black News at Channel 5, and we had a thing called Tell It to the Chief, and we had Chief Maurice Cullinane and Bertha and Jefferson and them came on, and I met Ron back in the early 70s. And would you believe we still are friends, <laughs> a cop and a convict, and we are friends. Thank you, Ron, for being <laughs> for being there this morning. <laughs> Thank you, Rose. Thank you, Rose. So, like no, gotta... You all right with me? I, I I ain't got no qualms with that. You all right with me, brother? <laughs> and I'm and I'm retired from my former lifestyle, so we ain't got no more problems. <laughs> I don't care what it is. I'm retired. Yeah, tell it like it is. So we're talking about the new D.C. Omnibus Crime Bill that's been submitted by City Councilman Brooke Pinto. And it's raising a lot of smoke pushback. Folks are upset with it. And I got, I haven't read the whole 90 page document, but I saw a few things in there that grabbed me. So uh, we can start off with uh, Melissa. ACLU has taken a strong position against this new DC Omnibus Crime Act. And the ACLU stands for the American Civil Liberties Union. And you are a, a senior policy 
uh, advocate for ACLU. What is ACLU's position on this new omnibus crime bill that's been submitted by City Councilman Brooke Pinto and endorsed, supported by 11 of the 12 City Councilmen? Go ahead. Uh, you got it, Melissa. What's your take on it? Yeah, thanks, Roach. <clears throat> and again, so happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Um, you know, if we look at Security DC, there are some provisions that we, we support in the bill. You know, there are some sections in there on increasing <clears throat> food safety and nutrition at the jail. Um, you know, that that's something we've testified to in, in the past that we need to improve the food at the DC jail, give people opportunities to get into hospitality programs. And that's and that's good. However, there are some really problematic things in this bill, you know, allowing officers to escape accountability and harass people in drug free zones is not going to make DC safer. Locking more people up before they're found guilty is not going to make DC safer. Uh, and we have more failed and ineffective drug free zones that are going to do little to prevent crime. And what's going to end up happening is police officers could harass people and violate yes. our rights. Yes. And what about you, Ron? What do you see? What, what's your position on some of these, some of the issues that's contained in this bill? Broach, let me tell you, man, I've seen this movie before and it didn't <laughs> again. It didn't get no Academy Award, nor did it net any results during the time I was on the police force, all of this stuff. And, and you know, and I don't even want to go over what Melissa talked about because she, she's raising excellent points. And that the good part about that they're going to have decent food at the jail? Yes, they should. They should have had it a long time ago because even if you're incarcerated, you're entitled to a decent meal. The fact of the matter is, is that the city had missed the boat on the investment in people in this city, and you can't lock people up. Those old chiefs of police that I worked for always used to say at the beginning of the press conference when we had a little rise in crime, we can't arrest our way out of this problem. That's and right. this is exactly what the mayor and the city council is doing. But, but see, what we need to do, though, is talk, tell, talk, truth, talk truth to power. See, this is what the gentrifiers want. Because, see, they want to be able to move about the city because they're intimidated. And th the whole idea that they can't do what it is that they want to do, just lock them up and throw away the key. And we're going back to that same mentality that we had 20, 25 years ago. And, and I, you know, they talk about this is, uh, they got uh, evidence based, they talk all that. Yeah, evidence based that it didn't work. So why are we doing it? What we need to do and should have been doing all along is investing in our young people. We should ask conflict resolution. Invest in those guys that's working out there in the community. Tyrone's group and all those other guys that's working in the community that's doing the kind of job that they've been Recording. doing to make a difference. But see, this is a departure from what we've done in the past. And 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 and, and then demand them of rolling back the police reform stuff that. I, I had the honor and pleasure of serving on the D.C. Police Reform Commission, and they're rolling back the recommendations. Come on now. I mean, that's just crazy. Why would why would the police officer who committed an infraction have to look at the tape before he writes his report? Come on now. That, you, know, you know, you know, Ron, what you just said, that that jumped out out of me. Let me let me give you a little history on this, because. Oh. One of the recommendations is to allow the police to view the body cams before they write right. the initial report. That's 
That's like uh, there's a couple of cases because of the when you go to prison and everybody get a, get get that time. Everybody said they want they want to get out. They so they send you to the law library. You go to the law library and you meet one of the jailhouse lawyers. And he, the first thing he asks you for is get your police report. Your initial police report is the charging document. That's right. where the charges come from. That's where the, right. where all of the activities about who saw what, what color you had on, and, and that kind of stuff. There's right. been two cases where these charging documents have benefited the entire society. There's a case we look at on TV every day called the Miranda Rights. Right. When That's they right. Up Miranda, and he went to right. jail, and they looked at his police report, and they saw they didn't read him his rights. They didn't have That's probable right. cause to arrest him. The Supreme That's Court ruled that you cannot treat people like without re reading their rights. The That's police right. report was a central document. There's another case called Gideon versus Wainwright in Florida. Right. This That's guy, right. Uh, man, I'm taking y'all to law school this morning. <laughs> this guy, Gideon, got five, got 10 years for breaking into a pool room. And he wrote, this the first and only time that the United States Supreme Court entertained a letter, not a motion, not a writ of certiorari. This right. guy knew it wasn't right what he did. He, he wasn't represented by an attorney. So right. Gideon, and again, they went back to the original Polish report where the, where the, right. where That's the right. it was wrong. And That's because right. of these two guys, the entire society is enjoying the rights that were violated. Mm -hmm. So now That's they're right. talking about giving the police the rights. That's Oops. like saying, go ahead, man. Bro, let me, me tell you this, and Melissa knows this also. We can go back to Rodney King. We can go back to Eleanor Bumpers. We can go back as yeah. far as we can. The only reason, the only reason we know about the incidents and the aggressive be behavior on the part of the police, egregious behavior on the part of the police, is because somebody taped it. We could not, if you had read the report, the Rodney King report, all the reports from these Boy. incidents, Rodney King, uh, George Floyd, the people in Memphis, the, oh, if you allow them to view the tape before they write their report, the report in the tape is going to, it, it's, it is crazy. crazy. And I don't understand why, why they even want to do that. I, I mean, because. The, the lie, they lie in, 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 the, in the report. And then the next day, you know, we don't, we, we, we don't even see it. And if, if it wasn't the benefit of the independent camera, we wouldn't even know what was happening because the report was a lie. They lied on the report. And so this, again, sets in place for the lie to continue and for us and no transparency in reference to it. What's your take on that, Melissa? Go ahead. Yeah, it's an abuse of power, plain and simple. I mean, there the bill would allow officers to view the body-worn camera footage before they write the reports, and that's a problem. It's going to create a biased report. You know, these provisions, like Ron said, they help promote police accountability. Right. If you know that the camera's on, deterring officer misconduct and making sure they have objective evidence to help resolve complaints when people make complaints against the police, right? And I think the council's thinking, you know, oh, well, there might it might be better because then they're able to close more cases. But the the research the research shows the video recordings don't actually reflect what the officer sees, hears, or there perceives, you go. and can That's bias right. their memory. And so these initial right. police reports have to be based on an unbiased recollection of events, and they should not be permitted to view this this camera Thank footage. You. I mean, again, again, we've seen it, like Ron said, Roach, like you said, time and time again. 
when police are allowed to abuse their power without facing consequences, uh, uh, facing consequences, it's like the public, you can understand why the, the public is reluctant to interact with officers, especially folks in black and brown communities, given the history with police. And That's so right. this this change would just completely continue to spread that distrust That's right. to the police. And it undermines the legitimacy of, of law enforcement and erodes right. any sense of cooperation that people would want uh, between especially harmed communities and the police. That's right. That's exactly right. You know, you know what what pops into mind is that uh, if you go into school and you take the test for your PhD, and they allow you to look at the test the answers before you take the test. This is the equivalent of this. You line them and look at the answers before you take the test. Most right. people, when they go to court, that police report is a central document that you can right. use when the police make mistakes. There's right. nineteen. There's nineteen states, uh, Ron that they have a list, a no-call list, and 19 states have a list of police officers. They refuse to call to testify right. in courts because their credibility and their line was an issue. 19 yeah. states. So yeah. why are you going to allow them to write, to look at it? And, and I go back to the 14th Amendment, equal justice under the law. If they have the right to look at it, shouldn't a yeah. defendant have the right to look at it at the same time? That's and exactly. when the case is over, we can't get access to that's right. That's right. See, one of the, one of the things one of the things that the law enforcement community is going through right now is is they're having a, a drought in the recruitment. And the reason I maintain that they're having a drought in the recruitment is because that the 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 the, the job of being the police is suffering from loss of integrity. And, yes. and in order to gain that back, you have to have accountability in the kind of things that we're talking about. Nobody wants Black or brown. I don't know about white people because that's an I'm not white. But black or brown people <laughs> are, aren't gonna want to be the police if it lacks integrity, if there's not a sense of responsibility and accountability as it relates to what you do every single day. When I the 24 years I was on the police force, I, I wasn't concerned about what it was I was doing or what abusing people because I did the very best I could for the community that I worked for and worked in, and I did my job. Yes, if I made a mistake, I made a mistake of the heart and not of the head. In other words, it wasn't intentional, and I wasn't out there to harm people. But until they address the issues of integrity and accountability plus transparency, then they're going to continue to have a recruitment drought because people aren't going to now uh, uh, find themselves looking at or becoming involved in jobs that where integrity is raised in the question of uh, of integrity. But they don't get it. They just think somehow or another they're going to clean this up and it's not going to work. No, that it's just not going to work that way. You know, something else, uh, Melissa, that I want to just throw for, for you and Ron. D.C. has one of the highest rate of incarceration per capita of any city in America. We mm -hmm. lock up more people in D.C. They stay That's locked right. up longer. They get more sentences in this time. And our men and women are sent all over the country. Now they're talking about increasing the penalties for carjacking, for certain offenses. On the retail thing, it was uh, uh, if you stole something out of a store, uh, uh, up to $1,000 was a misdemeanor. Now they lower that down to 500 500 That's right. And what they're talking about is, like you, like you said at the top, Ron, we can't lock our way out of this. This is a situation where... They're talking about penologically punishing people, putting them inside of institutions, and as opposed to dealing with the causations. 
what led to this? What are some of the reasons we can deal with that would stop or reduce some of the crime and the violence? And we're talking about punishment as opposed to prevention. Right. You know, and this and, and the bill don't deal, I don't see no aspects of the bill that deal with prevention, jobs, housing to help those folks who are needed. Uh Right. And not right. only that, when it comes to juveniles, they're charging them like adults. Carjacking yes. shouldn't give you 20 or 30 years in prison. That's for insanity. For the rest of your life, you're going for taking yeah. the car, man. Yeah. Why are you yeah. taking the car? Because you need to eat. You, you're desperate. We, yeah. Like you say, unless we put emphasis on prevention. prevention on children in these homes who need support. Need yeah. to start where yeah. we Start with babies. That's you know, and I, I know we got both of y'all on, but let, let me just say this and I'll shut up. Uh, there's a thing you laugh at, Melissa. I'll shut up in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing great, Rich. <laughs> there's a thing that we call uh, uh, the elephant syndrome, yeah. where over in Africa, elephants are being slaughtered, the parents, so the kids are being left alone and they're raising themselves as a result. The baby elephants are terrorizing the neighborhoods. People don't know what to do. They're afraid. It's like we're afraid in America and all over the world. Right. They're right. terror. The, the young elephants are terrorizing the communities. So they went in the right. junk in the forest and bought right. out several old bull male elephants, and they brought right. them into the community. And would you right. believe, in a matter of weeks, these young baby elephants stopped being aggressive, stopped de de destroying stuff, and terrorizing. Now we call that the elephant syndrome. We right. got the elephant syndrome here. We got returning citizens who did 30, 40, 50 years who That's were right. in neighborhoods and risked their lives to stop this. That that they weren't included in none of this bill. They wasn't no, talking about they referenced that they talked to returning citizens, but we need go ahead, Ron. No, you're right. And and Rose, that's one of the things that we need because we got guys that are out there, guys and, and women that are out there doing that in the community. But every so often, they have to apply to get the money. They're not part of the budget. They yeah. need to be part of the budget so they can concentrate on yeah. doing the work and not on filling out the paperwork to get the, <laughs> the money to do the work. Yeah. It, 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 it's really crazy. Yeah. And, and it's and, not enough money. The white organizations are getting the... 2.1 million and black that's, organizations are fighting for $50,000. Yeah. That's exactly right. See, that's that's why I said it. it's all backwards, but it's but it's backwards because it what's what they're doing is they're facilitating the the the, the gentrification of the city rather than investing in people and the people who have been in this city, lived in this city, born and raised in this city. And I'm not against somebody who th that wasn't born and raised here. But when the economic system does not support that, and, and bro, the story about the elephant has been happening in our community for a long time because that first drug war stripped our community, not only of the men and women, it stripped the, the, our community of the resources, it stripped our community of the culture that existed in our community and the examples that need to be set for our young people. And it's capable. I, I'm working with Tyrone and them and the brothers over at Crew in Southeast and whatnot yeah, right now because yeah. they're doing those kind of things. That makes a difference, man. And, yeah. But they need money to do it, money. even yeah. though they go out there and do it without money. But in order to really get a foothold in and do it in the kind of way that they're doing, they have to have money. They need to be a part of the budget, not a, applying for a grant. Right. Go ahead, uh -huh. go ahead Melissa. You got it. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, we're we're looking at a bill that does nothing on prevention. It, it you know, we it does nothing about accountability that what they're trying to do. I mean, if we want this comprehensive public safety system, you have to have prevention. You have to have resources for folks. You need to make sure it's effective. So, right. you know, on, on on getting money and all these other things, you know, I, I tell people too, I know we're not talking about oversight at the council, but, you know, there are organizations and agencies that have oversight hearings at the council and people can go and testify and say, hey, I want this funded. I want this program to get this money because this is actually what's going to help improve public safety in the district, not a bill that locked people and children up unnecessarily. We saw that in the summer. Uh, not a bill that's going to, you know, uh, reinstate unconstitutional drug-free zones or give right. the police more power on the sentencing commission. We want an actual prevention-based public safety system. And that's, that's, that's not what this bill is doing at all. There yeah. is no element of prevention or giving the resources like you're talking about. Yes, you right. know, I, I read one thing, and they was talking about an uh, increase of some money for research and study and dot data collection. Mm-hmm. That's to me, Ron. That's like you going to a house. You call the fire department, <laughs> and the house on fire, and the, and the fireman come to the house, and you tell him, "Wait a minute, don't put the fire. Let us do a study to see which way Let's the fire is blowing." Yeah, you don't need yeah. to study. People are dying. Our kids are dying every day. People are yes, afraid sir. to come out the house. Yeah, kids are afraid to go to school, and they live yes, across sir. the street from the school. And we talking right. about study. We need immediate reaction in, in, right. uh, in our community. Yes, so uh, no, you're right. the other piece is they talking about uh, uh, the, uh, these drug-free zones. Mm-hmm. What's your take on the drug-free zones, uh, Melissa? Yeah, the the drug-free zones reinstating something that did not work and was unconstitutional <laughs> 10 years ago is not the way to, to make sure uh, that we're increasing public safety. So the bill itself is going to reinstate these ineffective and unconstitutional drug-free zones for an area in the city for up to five days. Mm-hmm. The problem, the bigger problem is the way the bill's written, MPD could in theory repeat giving notice of the same area of a drug-free over. zone over and over, over again. Yep. Yes. Every five days, there's a new notice every five days. And what we've seen is they do little to prevent crime. And what it actually is going to do is open the door for police officers to harass people and violate our rights. I mean, the district cannot make it a crime for someone to be simply standing around in an area. Um, you know, they, the Constitution, we're ta- I heard you talk about the 14th Amendment, Roach. Constitution yes. requires before you arrest somebody, a police officer has to have probable cause to yes. suspect that someone is intending to commit or is committing a crime. And if you're ordering somebody who's standing around in an area who has committed no crime to disperse and then arresting them if they don't leave makes loitering a crime, which is unconstitutional. And another thing I'll bring up is 10 years ago, these zones were unanimously repealed by the council. And that includes then council member Bowser. Bowser, she they- voted for it. Yes, right. Correct. Right. And, and again, right. in, in, in practice, what this is going to do is it gives the, the officers uh, the authority to stop to say, hey, if I have a reasonable belief that you're standing somewhere that you shouldn't be in a drug free zone, I can arrest you. So what does that mean? That's a hunch. That's a suspicion. That's potentially implicit bias towards our black and brown residents that you're standing around. So I think 
you're committing a crime. And that's a lower standard than what's constitutionally required to make an arrest. It's not going to keep us safer. In the past, Melissa, that that's exactly what happened. They were locking up black people. Uh, even when even when uh, the uh, the initiative seventy one came out that gave us uh, uh, gave the city the uh, the marijuana thing and and the, the marijuana decrim bill. You had to excuse me. I'm old. I can't remember all of the stuff. The marijuana decrim bill. And one of the things that we talked about was is that. Yes, the black community wasn't the only people who smoked marijuana. They, the, I believe it was the ACLU did a, a, a study. There was a study done here in Washington, D.C. about, for example, smoking marijuana on the campuses of the schools, colleges in the city, and, 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 and also in the, in the black and brown community. Yes, there was marijuana smoke, but there were no arrests. At, in the universities or in Ward 3, where the, most of the universities are. But all of the rest was black folk. So in essence, the Initiative 71 was a human rights bill because it freed up that arresting factor that took place in our community. It also uh, prevented them from locking up people and using the smell of marijuana as a probable cause for arrest, which was just absolutely crazy. But we know, Roach, you remember Hanover Street off of North Capitol right. Street. And, and and when they cleaned, when, when they when they thought they cleaned up, and Ike Forward used to talk about this all the time, when they thought they cleaned up Hanover Street, they had moved over to the next street. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's all the they one. did. And, that's and that's what one. happened. That, that's, and that's what this is going to do, too. It's yes, just going to move the conduct move move around the city. And that's you're, just right. pushing, you're pushing people into areas farther and farther out of the city. And again, a big issue here, That's in right. addition to the unconstitutionality, is this could happen over and over again. The chief of MPD could just decide that the corner of North Capitol and whatever street, that's that's where I want to have this drug-free zone. And every five days, I'm going to come and post a notice and do it over and over and over again. And there's no guardrails in this. And no, it's not. extremely it's problematic it's for yeah. the district. Yeah, I think we had to also be concerned with after what happened in Memphis with that special unit roach. And they they started across the country in Memphis and across the country, they started deactivating those special units because they were out of control. They've always been out of control because they're little supervision and accountability when it comes to those special units. And what she's doing right now, the new chief is setting up these special units. And these guys are going to be going out there with that aggressive approach to doing it because this legislation gives them a thought and the power to do it. And they're going to be out there pushing people, doing jump out. Only jumping out in Southeast. They wasn't jumping out up on Wisconsin Avenue. You better bet that. Yeah. See, so this, this sets it up for that cowboy stuff to start happening in our city again and it's only going to happen to people like that look like us now yes. you better bet they ain't going to be jumping out and grabbing white people right. yeah so no that's bad yeah. this on. is uh wpfw your station for jazz and justice we're talking with melissa wasa aclu-dc and ron hampton former executive director national Police Association, National Black Police. Association. Thank you, thank you. 
Because it is a difference. We know it is. Yeah, it is, is, right. But what do we do as as citizens, as people who care, what is the pushback we can do that's going to have effect? Not just, you know, five people showing up somewhere. Uh, What can we really do as a people to... like Frederick Douglass says, power concedes nothing without right. a demand. It never did, and it never will. What should we be demanding now? Uh, we need to be. We need to be uh, uh, sending emails and telephone calls. We need to be testifying. We need to be opposing it. Roach mentioned that uh, J- J- George from Ward Four voted against it. She did because it just makes sense. You you should not change laws for ninety days. Emergency legislation is only for 90 days. So when you suspend the law, that has a, a, a domino effect. There are other things that's going to happen in reference to it. And that's what this bill does. And then they had to come back after 90 days, you know, because we're a plantation and the Congress gets to review our stuff because we can't do it ourselves. But but those are dangerous grounds to be uh, traversing on in relationship to the political process. But the people need to be calling. They need to be sending emails. I, I know the uh, for the first hearing they had, I sent emails to the members of the Judiciary Committee uh, opposing this because they need to know our position on it. And if you get a chance, if you can testify, you need to testify. Now, you better bet there are two organizations that I know of that are, that are supporting this and pushing for it. One of them is called Oper- Opportunity DC, and they're pushing and supporting this. Yeah, no, it, it's one of those. Uh, it's one of those organizations that support the the mayor. It's some white folk, uh, you know. And I'm not being detrimental. I'm just calling it like it is. It ain't no. It's not a black organization. It's white folk talking about the the crime is taking over the city. And the crime. We we're having a problem, but it's not the kind of problem that I can't do what I need to do. And I I move about the city myself. And I'm not going to allow that to stop me from doing what I got to do. But uh, we just need to push back with everything we got to 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 keep this from taking place. We got to wake up the people. Let let me let me just say this to to the people listening: your voice is your power. And so, what we need to be doing is reaching out to the DC Council, email, call. If you have time, do both. Um, ACLU DC has set up an action alert on our on our website of how you can call the DC council members and ask them to reject the harmful provisions in the Secure DC Act. Um, you know, you can tell them that you oppose the rollback of police accountability. You oppose expanding pretrial detention. You oppose ineffective and failed drug-free zones. Um, you know, we have a one pager on our website that goes through here are the issues that that are going on. And I just want to, I just want to like set a good expectation and grounding. Cause I heard Ron, you were like, testify, get there, do, you know, say these things to the council. And the good, the, 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 the bad part of this is that the testimony part is over because they took oh. 12 to 15 different bills. If you remember this past summer, we yeah. had folks testifying. There were That's a lot right. of folks, uh, you know, that were, uh, returning citizens that came out in strong numbers to oppose uh, warrantless searches, which is not in this bill, which is great. And it shows that our voices matter and they carry power. But they took all these bills and pushed them into this one omnibus bill. And so uh, next Tuesday, February 6th, 
February the 6th is the first vote. Um, and, you know, that is somewhere where you should be emailing your council members. And honestly, you should be emailing not only your ward council member, but your at-large council members, Chair Mendelson, uh, you know, the chair of the Judiciary Committee, Brooke Pinto, and tell them what you think of this bill. Because if they're not hearing from us, if they're just hearing from the ACLU of D.C. that we have a problem with it, they're going to think, oh, this is fine. Only the ACLU has a problem with it. And that's not true. We've heard from that's hundreds right. of uh, and potentially thousands of people across the city that they don't want this legislation because it's not going to keep us safe. And this is not the way to prevent crime in the district. And so you need to be the one to, to show up, call, email and let them know what you think about it. And if you need some help doing that, you can head to our website, ACLUDC.org. And we're happy. It's right on the front of the website. Say no to abuse of power in D.C. And you can call your council members and tell them what you really think. You know, this Thank is, you. Uh, well, folks who are listening, if you want to join the conversation, the phone number is 202-588-0893. 202-588-0893. One of the other pieces, uh, there's a several things in it I'm, I, I take issue with, Melissa and Ron. And one of them is this pretrial detention. They give the increase in the power where the judge can hold you, step you back, deny you a bond. Uh, and again, we know that the majority of the people arrested in D.C. are black and brown. The majority of the people convicted and sentenced in D.C. are black and brown. The people that get these impossible sentences, life plus 100. I got a nephew that's doing 100 years plus life, and he's 25 years old, 100 plus life. So they're talking about holding people further, and we know the only people they can hold is us. Again, Melissa, we haven't heard a damn thing about prevention. We know they locked up a young kid two days ago, nine, nine years old and 12, for robbery. Ron, here's another story I think you might have heard. Uh, we call this the five-year-old kid story. I'm working in my office, and this five-year-old boy came in and said, Mr. Roach, I need a job. I started laughing. I said, you five years old. He said, but I need a job. So I gave him a job taking out the trash. He came back in three days and said, Mr. Roach. I said, yeah. He said, I need a raise. Okay. I, I said, you need a raise, and you five years, that's what you need it for. He wanted to take his sister out. I'm saying that to say that these no, kids no. need money. They need jobs. The Marinburg Summer Youth Program should be all year long, not just for the summer. Why would you bring a kid in and give him a check every two weeks for 60 days for two months and the other 10 months they broke? Ain't got no money coming in. So these kids are going to do something to get some money. So there's nothing in that bill about stipends, money, and extended the Summer Youth Job Program all year long. They just, what they did, uh, that had... That, that that has just come out. They they're getting ready to start registering now, but it does need to be all year round because there are young people in our in this city, in our community, who are standing, sitting on their porch, playing on the playground, watching all of this uh progress go on in our city. All these tall buildings uh, are are growing in our city. People are driving nice cars. People uh, uh, are sitting in the summertime, sitting in these outdoor restaurants, partaking in that process. They're not, they're not a part of that. And and right. and I and I submit to you that they can only do that for so long, and then they're going to want what it is that they see, because they're they're not benefiting from it, nor are their families benefiting from it. And and where you and I, old as hell, wrote, uh, have restraint, and we're not going to do it because. 
I, I don't I don't want to go to court because I know what the reputation of the court is and all that other stuff. But <laughs> those young people are willing to take risks, and that's what they're doing. And okay. that's why I said, yeah, this bill does not invest in people. You you know, right. you and I know the story when Ty Roman that was meeting with them kids down there on Sixth and Seventh Street, and yeah. they was talking about. Uh, they needed jobs. That they didn't want no fifteen hundred dollars. They wanted a job because they know guns for jobs. Give me fifteen hundred dollars. Fifteen hundred dollars don't go far. But if you give me a job, I can take care of myself and my family. So they're not ignorant. They're not stupid. And 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 the man, the rest of them underestimate the intelligence and and and, and, and the articulation of these young people as it relates to the issues that they had to confront every day. Uh, we got a couple of calls, and we'll take that first caller, Melissa. Uh, first caller, you're on the air. Question or yes, comment, sir. please. Yes, sir. Good morning to all of you good people. I'm a, I'm in Maryland. I hope you won't hold that against me. Uh, however, I, I heard you uh, allude to the mentorship. My thinking is that if we can put an elderly couple in some of these buildings that are overly populated with uh, under underprivileged people, maybe going back to the African tradition, some of these elderly people can help some of these young people uh, get on get on the right track. Also, I would I would comment on the carjacking. When my, when when I when I buy a forty thousand dollar car and you jack my car, I don't feel I don't feel like you should get a license, especially if you got a gun. So I, I take exception to that fact that you're gonna jack my car because you're putting me in putting me in a precarious situation. You're disturbing my whole. My whole uh, order of the day, or, the, or however, however the uh, when I get the car back. So I think we need to do something about that on a serious note. Thank you for your okay. time. All right, and next, and next caller. We got the next caller. Question or comment, please. Uh, comment, sir. Come on. Come on. You're on the air. Oh, I'm on the air. Yes, sir. Okay. Oh, okay, I, I, I apologize. Yes, sir. How you doing? My name is Desmond Collins. Uh, okay. I'm originally from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm currently wow. living in D.C. Uh, okay. Graduate of Fisk University, political science major. Uh, beautiful, and I wanted beautiful. to I wanted to speak on um, what they're talking about as far as crime. I'm a I'm currently a a teacher in Washington D.C. So these young people who everybody's referring to, I see them every day. Um, and I, I talk with their parents, I talk with them. And what I realize is, again, as, as already has been said, it's a program issue and it's a poverty issue until we address the poverty. There, issue, there and, you and go. Until we bring there in you the go. programs, it's going to continue perpetuating itself. And I think it's interesting that we're more willing to invest in prison than actually preventing this. And I, I think we all understand this on this on right here, right now. That that's because it's an agenda. Someone somewhere is making money off of these problems, and until yes. we decide that it is more valuable to invest in humanity than in dehumanization, it'll continue happening. So that's all I wanted to that's say. Exactly right. All the good work that's exactly right. doing. Thank you. Peace, love, and light. Go ahead. You want to go ahead? He hit the nail on. He hit the nail on the head. He showed did. He showed did. Wait, and this ain't the, and this ain't the only city where it's happening. And we got some progressive cities like Newark and Jackson, Mississippi, where they not only hire 
police officers, but they're hiring social workers and counselors to work in the community because if we don't address that issue that he's talking about, then all we're doing is spinning our wheels. And the land of bridges kicking the can down the field because the problem is exactly. bigger at the end. Go ahead, Melissa, exactly you want to respond? Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, resources and, and preventative measures are what are needed. And this bill does not give us a comprehensive public safety system that focuses on prevention. That's what we need. The council needs to go back and listen to the like Ron didn't know you were on the D.C. Police Reform Commission. Thank you for your work, uh, because there's a lot of recommendations there that would actually keep our city safe. Again, prevention, effectiveness, accountability. That's what you need to have comprehensive public safety in the district. And Secure D.C. does not do that. That's right. And one thing I would like to say is people need to change their attitudes and stop looking at these children. Oh, they out of control. Look at the background. What is going on in these homes the with these children? People, look at them. Talk to them. Stop being afraid of them because they're just as afraid as what's going on in their, in their lives. They don't That's know right. what to do. We have another That's caller right. we'd like to take. You're on the air. Uh, yes. Uh, thanks for... Uh, am I on? Yes. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I've already uh, always appreciate this show. Um, my name is Dean. Uh, I've been a Washington. I'm a Washingtonian. Uh, back in the early '70s, um, I had a uh, um, a youth program uh, that was teaching kids a uh, marketable skill, uh, photography. <clears throat> and um, at first, it was an after-school program, and then it uh, I, got, I was able to get it. Uh, all year round, you know, but, uh, when Ronald Reagan came in, he ruined the, uh, uh, he eliminated the community service administration. So that was that, you know, so, uh, um, I would have done it again, uh, going to the Ford foundation and, uh, and other sources, but I, I just wanted to go back to school. But anyway, um, that, that, um, we not only trained the kids, but we got them a stipend. And, you know, of course, you know, this was through the Marion Barrier Program and the uh, uh, the uh, the institution that kind of like monitored, you know, my program, you know, was a, a D.C. Uh, recreation. But all I want to say, the m most important thing I want to say is D.C. eliminated all the tra uh, eliminated the trade schools and so forth. Yes. Uh, yes. You know. As soon as those, as soon as as soon as that program uh, was eliminated, um, young people were out on the street because you know you could take, you could get a trade, electricity, carpentry, and stuff like that. And as soon as you grad, if you weren't interested in college, as soon as as soon as you uh, uh, graduated, you know you could go to one of the uh, uh, government uh, uh, institutions. And uh, getting it, getting their uh, 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 programs, you know, for the same trade, and you know, work for the rest of your life there, and you know, buy a house and all the rest of that kind of stuff. So that's that's basically. Oh, one more thing. One uh, one of the things that that I one of the ideas that I came up with was since we um, uh, were a photography program, uh, it occurred to me. That we could, um, if we could go up to, like um, uh, the um, uh, 
uh, the government buildings and, and interview, you know, like uh, Congress people and so forth, for, uh, uh, photograph, you know, the interviews with them. That was an interface, you know, between the streets and the government. It worked well. Uh, I was only able to do it my last year there, but there were all kind of connections because, see, we recruited uh, uh, the people to interview the people in the government from other existing programs around the, uh, around the city. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Alrighty. that, yeah, so basically, thank I, you. I, thank, I, you so I, much. thank you. We have another yeah, call. Thank you. Last call. Go ahead, John. Question or comment? Uh, Charles, my name is Charles. Okay, we are acting like it's already already a done deal. Let's talk about what we can do to short circuit this, but take out the parts of the bill that's bad for the There you go. There you go. Let's just walk away. Give us a couple action plans, steps we can do that we can. Everybody can pitch in and call in, you know, council person, whatever. But let's come up with a unified plan on how to stop it. It's still time. Yeah. Absolutely. You You're yeah. right. We still got time. In fact, one of the things that we're going to do is uh, we're doing the show next week. We're going to do a part two to this, Melissa and Ron. I'd like to have y'all back and whomever else we can get on because this bill is going to impact us whether you like it or don't like it. You, right. You're going to feel the effects of this, the whole city. And again, we got to create jobs and, and, and housing and programs and wraparound services. That little nine and 12-year-old kid, they need money. You tell the kid at nine, Mine bars some of you program. They work for two months and the rest of the year they broke. What the hell you think they're gonna do? They go they need money too. So we'll be doing this show again, part two of it for next week, one that two hour show for one hour. And we'd like to have y'all back and we'll get somebody else to come in so we can flush this thing out because we haven't even we just scratched the surface on this omnibus crime and, bill. And Roach, the, the the good thing to note for that caller, again, you should be calling and emailing the members of the DC council and telling them that you are, you are saying no to the abuse of power provisions in this bill. You do not want them to roll back police accountability. You do not want them to include ineffective drug-free zones and you don't want them locking up more black and brown folks in pretrial. You can call and you can email them. The good news, you know, I I know that uh, they mentioned, you know, is it's a foregone conclusion, you know, something, Something is going to pass. I, I want to be very clear with folks and just set the expectation. Something is going to pass. And because of how the D.C. Council votes next week on next Tuesday is the first vote. There are two votes on this thing. So you need to call and email and let them know what you think to get as much of the bad and ineffective provisions out of the bill before it goes to the mayor. Thank you. We're, we're out of time. Thank you, Ron Hampton and Melissa Wassner from ACLU and Ron, retired uh, Deep National Black Police Association. Y'all be coming back. We, this is just the round one of this piece. We'll do another part of it next week. Thank you for listening to Crossroad. And remember, your inner voice is never wrong. Merry Christmas. Scott Heron said, The revolution will not be televised. 
And yet we've seen oppression, suffering, and resistance streamed in real time across this country and around the world, from Palestine to D.C. In times like these, it's imperative to have a station like WPFW that centers justice, reflects hope, and fosters solidarity throughout our music and public affairs programming. From February 4th through the 24th, we offer you the opportunity to partner with us in this critical work of liberation by donating during our Winter Pledge Drive and ensuring that WPFW will be here to chronicle the revolution. WPFW, Revolutionary Radio for Revolutionary Times. Brother Jamil here informing you about the D.C. Black History Celebration Committee's annual Black History Month kickoff on Saturday, February 3rd from 11 a.m. until 2 p.m. at Westminster, D.C.'s Jazz Church. The keynote speaker is none other than Professor Tom Porter on the role of black artists in the movement for justice and peace. For details, call Chuck Hicks at 202-421-8608. That's 202-421-8608. Or email History at yahoo.com. The event is free and open to the public. Westminster Church is located at 400 I Street Southwest in D.C. Again, the date is Saturday, February 3rd, from 11 a.m. until 2 p.m. WPFW, building a better world, one broadcast at a time. This is author and activist Miko Pellet, and I'm inviting you to join me for the Miko Pellet Hour, beginning on Tuesday, November 14th, from 7 to 8 p.m. We're going to discuss all things Palestine, and beyond. That's the Miko Pellet Hour, beginning Tuesday, November 14th at 7 p.m. on WPFW, Building a Better World, one broadcast at a time. WPFW presents Jazz at 100 2024, a sonic centennial tribute to those artists turning 100 years old in 2024 and one that will surely become an annual broadcast. On February 2nd, from 5 a.m. until midnight, we'll celebrate the music of Max Roach, Marshall Allen, J.J. Johnson, Sarah Vaughn, Blossom Deary, Armando Peraza, Lucky Thompson, Louis Belson, Dinah Washington, Bud Powell, Paul Desmond, DC's own Charlie Rouse, adopted DC native son and my father, Sonny Stitt, and many others. That's Jazz at 100 2024, February 2nd, 5 a.m. until midnight, right here on WPFW, your station for jazz and justice, building a better world, one broadcast at a time. I'm Jordan Cato Strudwick, and I'm grateful to announce the launch of my new show, Blue Notes, airing from 10 p.m. to midnight on Wednesdays. Blue Notes are a musical expression and way of knowing the world that our ancestors brought with them from Africa and held onto tightly despite Herculean efforts to strip us of our African heritage. 
Blue Notes are a through line connecting our musical traditions, including spirituals, the blues, jazz, funk and soul, Afro-Latin and Caribbean music, Afrobeat and the Chora, and beyond. On Blue Notes, we'll deeply engage with music, poetry, stories, and dialogue aimed to inspire self-love and self-respect, love and respect for each other, unity, clear thinking, and well-being. We will also explore our historical movements and memories through music. By weaving music and histories together, we will enrich our understanding and appreciation of both. I'm Jordan Cato Strudwick, host of the new program Blue Notes, and I'm looking forward to spending Wednesday nights with you from 10 p.m. to midnight on WPFW 